0: Hi, I'm Dr. James Ahrens, the ADHD author and veterinarian. Welcome to Podcast 35, My Own Greek Tragedy. A few years into our marriage, my ADHD insecurities partnered with my immature mindset to lead me down a rabbit hole of temptation, betrayal, disloyalty, and sadness.
1: Though she knows how much it's gonna hurt Before I say another word Let me tell you I love you Let me hold you close And say these words as gently as I can There's been another man that I've needed And I've lost that doesn't mean I love you less. And he knows he can't possess me, and he knows he never will. There's just this empty place inside of me. It I think you failed me Just because there's someone else You were the first real love But with everything I feel inside, I'm asking you to stay. Torn between two lovers, feeling like a fool, loving both of you.
2: chapter 45 my own greek tragedy the ancient greeks had already figured out most of mankind's screw-ups. Three three thousand years ago they created nearly 100 gods who were responsible for any malfeasance or personal misdeed possible in ancient times unless you are stealing an automobile or performing a crime with your computer It is likely your transgression, or sin, will have already been explained as the influence of this or that god through the Greek tragedies. An ancient Greek could explain away crimes because he was under the effect of a particular god. Honey, I know I stayed out all night, but Dionysus' spirit overcame me, and I was powerless to stop drinking and partying. Over the next 2,000 years, religions evolved to include only one god, and although this god was all-powerful, a person could not use this deity to explain away his or her transgressions. A newer method of ridding the mind of the nagging ache that occurs when a person screws up needed to be found. From these guilty depths of the soul, the idea of confession evolved. The transgressor could go before this one god's representative and beg for forgiveness after blurting out a confession. In exchange, the sinner received absolution for his or her sins after performing a penance. With the conscience clear, the world was right again. I would like to find a God or confessional to quickly be relieved of the guilt I had or felt for my various transgressions. But in reality, I must be the one to bear the responsibility for the things I have done wrong. Late one morning, Mary and I were in the barn office when a woman called asking for me. The caller explained her ostrich hen had a prolapsed cloaca. The cloaca in a bird is somewhat equivalent to a vagina in a woman. In mammals, the vagina is an endpoint for both urinary and reproductive functions. In birds, the cloaca is the common endpoint for the reproductive, urinary, and excretory functions. The hen had been straining so hard to push an egg down her oviduct that her cloaca averted. She was unable to lay the egg because the egg was stuck midway down her oviduct. I asked the woman her name. I'm Susan B., the caller replied. You're the woman with the green eyes, I said. Yes, I am, she said i informed the green-eyed memory that prolapse of the cloaca is a primary symptom of egg binding and she would need to bring the bird to me for surgery i remembered this person from an ostrich auction in stockton when i worked there a few weeks earlier the yard hired me to oversee the birds as they were being unloaded from their various origins ensure they were healthy and sound and let people know they were not wasting their money bidding on an inferior animal as i was herding each bird through the alleyways into the auction area I noticed a beautiful blonde woman resting her head on her hands on the fence. She was watching me intently as I continued to push the birds to the auction. I said hello. She asked for my business card, but I didn't have any with me. Still, she remembered me enough to find the number. Susan brought her bird up to the Shadowmere facility late Monday afternoon. Mary was flying to Minnesota for ten days to help her mom move into a wheelchair accessible apartment. Gary and Robin worked the ranch during the day. When Susan arrived, Robin put her up in the guest room upstairs in the barn, and we did not talk to each other that evening. The next morning, Gary and I helped Susan load the bird into the trailer, and she followed us to the Paso office. We unloaded the big bird and brought her inside to the treatment area. I pulled on a sterile glove that went up to my shoulders. Applying lots of KY jelly, I advanced into the bird's cloaca, walking my fingers here and there until I found the oviduct which was the largest opening in the cloaca. I pushed my hand up to the oviduct until I bumped into the egg. I could feel it, touch it, but could not get my hand around it. It was stuck hard. After a few futile attempts to pull the egg out, I realized we had to take the thing out with surgery. Akin to a C-section in mammals, I would enter from the outside into the reproductive organ to remove the stuff that was stuck inside. I injected the bird with a sedative. Once the 250-pound bird fell to the floor, we laid her on her right side. Only the left oviduct is active in the ostrich. Therefore, there was no reason to search on the wrong aspect of the body. Correct knowledge of anatomy was not needed in this case anyway. One could feel the egg by merely pushing on the left side of the bird's abdomen. We prepped the site. Using a surgical blade, I opened the skin and underlining abdominal muscles and immediately began feeling for the egg. I put my gloved hand through the abdominal incision. I pulled the oviduct outside the incision. We call that exteriorizing the organ. Cutting into the oviduct, I dug the egg out. The tissue was stuck tight to the egg from being still for so long. A healthy oviduct rotates the egg as it descends from the organ. This oviduct was infected, and the usual mechanism of peristalsis, or egg movement, had stopped, becoming inflamed from previous attempts by my own and Susan's regular vets. to try to get the egg out. It was thickened from edema and angry red from inflammation and infection. I pulled the egg free and sewed the oviduct back together. Suturing the abdominal muscles together, then the skin, we allowed the bird to recover from the anesthesia. Susan noticed I had blood on my face and washed it off with a warm cloth. I was touched by her friendliness and interest. We drove back together to Shadomir. That evening, I shared dinner with Susan and Antonio, my friend and neighbor. Antonio is Adam's godfather a few months after Adam was born we contacted the Catholic Bishop of the mission in San Luis Obispo to arrange a baptism for Adam Antonio and his wife Casey agreed to be godparents many of my family from Orange County came to celebrate the event we went through the ceremony I handed the bishop a hundred dollar bill and we walked three blocks across downtown San Luis Obispo to eat at Antonio's Italian restaurant it was a beautiful event filled with strong Italian traditions. When Antonio left our quiet dinner, there was not much for Susan and me to discuss. She spotted photo albums and asked if I could share them with her. I was proud of them because I composed them, taking most of the pictures myself. We sat next to each other reviewing photos of the Colorado album, pictures of me working with animals, images of Mary singing, pictures of our wedding in Colorado, and our wedding reception at John's house. The next morning, Susan asked if she could ride to work with me. Her bird was not recovering well. I put a catheter in her wing, and we started fluids on her. But other than medications, there wasn't much more to be done for her. Susan shattered me through my office calls in Paso and then at Tascadero. When we were on our way home, she asked if she could share the hot tub with me that evening. I agreed it would be nice. When it was time to use the hot tub, Susan asked if there was a bathing suit for her. I didn't know what to do. She was not accustomed to going into a hot tub without clothes, and I didn't know where to find a bathing suit. I was not in charge of doing laundry, folding laundry, or putting it away, and I had no idea where any woman's bathing suit might be. I rummaged around and found a long t-shirt for her. Handing her the t-shirt, she asked me if I could locate a robe for her. I remembered Mary and I had bought a white robe when we stayed at Pebble Beach Resort. Mary was singing in a benefit there, and as a thank you for participating, We received free lodging in a cottage adjacent to the golf course. We arrived about mid-afternoon and settled ourselves into one of the cabins. I looked out the window overlooking the golf course. The sky was cloudy, there was a light drizzle, and seeing the place deserted, I ventured out for a hike. I wore a winter coat because it was damp and dreary, and it had oversized pockets, probably for gloves and mittens. I began my walk on the links, going towards the ocean, drawn by the sound of the waves crashing on the shore. As I stood at the edge of the greens, looking down onto the black slimy rocks, I saw hundreds of white golf balls twinkling in the low tide. It was a unique sight. These white things were scattered between barnacle-clad stones and seaweed-wrapped pools. Although not a golfer, I immediately sensed a free deal. Hurrying down, I stuffed as many balls as I could into the large pockets of my jacket. When they were full, it was time to quit scavenging, and I headed back towards the cottage. When I opened the door, Mary exclaimed, What are you doing out there? It looks like you fell into the ocean. I'm collecting golf balls. You don't golf. Why do you need golf balls? Because they're free. Well, good. Now you need to shower. We have to be at dinner in about an hour. I showered and dressed, and we waited until the limousine pulled up to take us to the benefit dinner. Afterward, the dining hall was transformed into a music hall, as a curtain opened up onto a stage Mary was going to sing on. I lost touch with her when she left to coordinate with the band. As the evening was finishing up, I went to find the limo. Opening the door, I dropped myself into the back seat. The limo driver told me the deal the limo company had made with the benefit was to escort the singer there, but there was no such agreement for the return trip. They expected us to pay for a ride back. I got out of the limo, went to find Mary, and told her about the new stipulation. "'That's total bullshit!' she exclaimed. I indeed agreed and she found someone from the band to take us to our cottage on the greens. The truck was a Toyota, with housing over the back, covering the sound equipment. There was room for Mary to sit on the passenger seat, but I stuffed myself in the back between the amplifiers and speakers. It reminded me of the road trip Mary and I took to Nashville, but this trip lasted only 15 minutes. Meanwhile, back at Shadowmere, I was still looking for the robe for Susan. I ran upstairs and rummaged in the closet of the guest bedroom and found it. The lodge at Pebble Beach was emblazoned in gold on it. I handed the garment to her, we found a bottle of wine, and slid into the steamy hot tub. Ah, yes. Oh, great. Our words tumbled in the steam. It was great, the company, the wine, the bubbling, steamy, watery elixir. Perfect therapy for sore muscles and nighttime loneliness. Besides melting away aches and pains, hot tubs also melt away inhibitions especially if alcohol comes into the picture. Susan and I talked for a long, long time. At one point, she placed her feet on my knees, and I massaged them. She loved the foot massage. When I touched her feet and kneaded them, I flipped a switch evidently. In a moment, she was sitting on my lap and my hands were exploring under her t-shirt. Things changed immediately. My penis responded eagerly as soon as I realized the moment. With our arms around each other, We locked lips in the frenzied need with no thought of tomorrow. This sexual liaison turned out to be much more than a one-night stand. Susan entered my life at a time when Mary was overwhelmed running the ostrich-hatching business, doing daily accounting for all the practices and our infant son. Just as I had left Mary adrift in these endeavors, offering minimal encouragement with high expectations, I hadn't experienced any support from her. To me, this was the pragmatic way, the way adults handle their jobs. But that's not how a healthy relationship works. Not at all. I didn't know it then, but my marriage was very vulnerable. We were both too busy with our separate jobs to pay enough attention to our emotional needs. Even words were scant between us. I allowed the union to lose its nurturing ability because I was too goal-oriented and focused on external acclaim. We had created an emotional vacuum, leaving both our needs unaddressed. And now I was unthinkingly following pheromones to plug this self-made gap. Susan was offering something I thought Mary was withholding. She encouraged me and told me I was terrific. Not in those exact words, but in many other ways. She was adept at helping me overcome my feelings of inadequacy regarding my new venture into the ostrich world. Mary couldn't assist me because she didn't know how scared I was inside. I never told her I needed her, never asked her for help, and probably never realized myself how frightened I was. I had already spoken at the Western Regional Ostrich Association in Reno but I was insecure about my depth of knowledge. Susan believed in me completely, and I depended on her suggestions and willingness to help me navigate through the daunting obstacle of self-doubt. We talked on the phone several times a day. She lived about 100 miles away, so there was no immediate physical comfort available, but it didn't matter. We were still able to connect with each other. She set up lectures for me to give at her local ostrich organization and arranged to have us visit various farms to help members figure out their hatching problems. I worked my regular practice during the week and spent weekends giving lectures to small groups and troubleshooting their farming problems with Susan. May fifth, nineteen 1994 arrived with some blustery weather. Nanny Carey had fallen in love with Steve, and they wanted to marry. Carey wanted the wedding to be at Shadowmere. For the past few years, I spent a lot of my free time constructing outdoor living areas around the house. I was slowly changing the ranch from a cheap 1960s built bungalow in the middle of a bunch of oak trees into a sheltered garden retreat. I had created an aura of natural peacefulness for my visitors, encouraging them to stay outside, to walk out under the oak trees, explore the gardens, and gather around the patio for conversation. The massive trunks of the oak trees created a feeling of walls, and their extensive canopies formed the ceiling. It was up to me to figure out where the lawns, gardens, and walkways went. The grasses were thriving. The young gardens surrounding the greens were showing themselves too under the oak tree canopy. Nanny Carey's wedding at Shadowmere was not the first. Six months previously, Mary and I hosted a wedding for my brother Rob. He arranged a horse and carriage to deliver his bride, Angreny, to the front deck where they were to be married. As the newlyweds descended the back stairs towards the guest room in the barn, We gave them a 21 gun salute with our potato cannons. Carrie and Steve's wedding was a bit more upscale. Tables and chairs from the local rental company, a five-tiered wedding cake arrived, Antonio catered the meal, and my lawns and gardens were exceptionally vibrant in their spring ascendancy. However, it was cloudy when we woke. That's a bad sign. In our climate zone, any spring, summer, or fall morning bringing clouds is an unusual event. Here in central California, We fully expect the sunshine and clear skies most of the year. This Saturday morning, there was no sun to be seen, and as the morning progressed, a fine mist began to settle on the tables and chairs. Nanny Carey changed into her wedding gown upstairs in the barn, but didn't know when to start the wedding. She was hoping for a break in the clouds. Meanwhile, the mist coalesced into small raindrops, and drops grew until it started to rain on our party. Mary turned on the weather channel, and the western half of America was clear, except for one small circle of green positioned just over the central coast. It was only raining here, in our little area of heaven, while the rest of the west coast was clear. I brought out a ladder, opened it up over the wedding cake, and pulled a big plastic bag over it for protection. Mary moved all the guests inside the house. An area was set up for karaoke outside, and Carrie pushed on to make her wedding beautiful event that it was two weeks later i spent my 39th birthday at an ostrich convention in sacramento i was not scheduled to lecture but went there to help dana m develop connections with other ostrich farmers dana had been in the marine corps for over 20 years thinking he could stay until he retired but the marines were downsizing and he was forced to retire early the marines offered to send dana back to school and he applied to and was accepted into the University of Southern California School of Business, where he studied for a master's degree. Dana and his wife Debbie had been watching the developing ostrich industry as we found our way into it. Debbie was our accountant, and she and Mary had been friends since living in Steamboat Springs in the 1970s. Debbie and Dana followed us into the ostrich business after Debbie saw a potentially viable industry developing. They were the ones who sent me to Reno, Nevada earlier in the year, to check out a pair of laying ostriches that were for sale. Once I verified that these birds were okay, they came to our farm to lay eggs, which we incubated and hatched. Dana did well at USC. Developing his thesis for the ostrich industry, he helped us launch a slaughterhouse cooperative where we invited 100 ostrich farms to pool $1,000 apiece to get this next part of the industry going. Dana was in the beginning stages of this endeavor and needed to attend the ostrich conferences as well. I flew up to Sacramento and Dana joined me a day later. Susan also flew up, reserving adjoining room so we could have private moments together while maintaining our separateness publicly. The conference ended Sunday, but we stayed over another night to celebrate my birthday by driving on Highway 49 in the Western Sierras between Placerville and Auburn. This part of Highway 49 is also known as the Golden Chain Highway because it travels through the historic gold rush towns of the Western Sierras. We stopped at the most famous spot, Coloma, where John Sutter and James Marshall on the bank of the American River first discovered gold in 1848. The area is in the foothills of the Sierra Mountains, and by mid-May, the hillsides were awash in color from the native trees and bushes. The day trip was idyllic and peaceful. We walked through Placerville, Sutter's Mill, and Auburn with no worries. We were two people in love, even though we were each married to other people. Once back home, I assumed my regular family duties. Adam was just under two years old. Mary bought a baby backpack, and we loaded him on my back so I could share my hikes in the hills with him. The hillsides behind my home were fragrant and colorful from the spring blooms. Wooly blue curls, white ceanothus, purple sage, and yellow bush poppies were the dominant players of this show. Mary was not interested in going on these hikes with me. I guess I pushed too hard when we initially started these outings together. Now five or six years had passed, and we both had our routines. We continued to grow more distant, but I was content to let this distance widen because I was enamored with a new woman. One week after my birthday, Susan and I found time to meet for an afternoon in the Carissa Plains. A parcel of land was for sale there. The plot was 110 acres and was selling for about $300 per acre. Mary and I were thinking about purchasing it to expand the ostrich farm. I arranged a time out of work to meet Susan on the site. I went to work early to get some things done, went shopping for lunch, and drove an hour to the Carissa Plains. Susan was driving from Dulce, and we arrived at the site at about the same time. We had a wine and cheese lunch on the tailgate of my truck, but were interrupted when a neighbor drove over to see about us. As he worked his way from his vehicle, I saw he was carrying a pistol and a hip holster. The fellow wanted to know if I had a catalytic converter. He was afraid my vehicle could start a fire in the dry grasses. I countered with another question as I pointed to the carcass of a dead cow on his property. How long has it been since your cow moved? I asked him. The situation diffused as the fellow rumbled around in his head for an answer that never became words. I explained to him why we were here on the property. The guy accepted my explanation, turned around, walked off to his truck, and drove off. Susan and I decided we could use him as a security guard when the parcel became an ostrich farm. We would pay him with beer and bullets. Two weeks after my birthday, I tidied up at Chattermere to make it a perfect Memorial Day holiday. My extended family was converging to spend the three-day weekend, and I wanted to make them as comfortable and spoiled as possible. Because Mary and I lived midway between San Francisco and Los Angeles, the ranch became a place where my parents and brothers and sisters could conveniently come together at least once a year. The family celebration at Shadowmere was short-lived that year. The weather did not allow any outdoor relaxation. The wind blew, the sky clouded, some rain sprinkles fell, rainbows briefly formed, and the wind still blew. Mary had to focus on the ostriches the entire weekend, so she could not be a helpful hostess. My dad and his wife didn't like the smell of the ostriches in the guest room over the barn, and the wind blew. Brother Rick just finished building a new house in nearby Paso Rolos and convinced everyone he had the idyllic place at the end of the rainbow. Soon, the cars, pickups, and motorhomes parked in our front area were all gone. At first, I felt angry towards Rick for hijacking the party, but finally realized things were not comfortable for the family at my home. End of chapter
1: Do my heart a favor Take your love away Thank you for the offer But I can't let you stay Every time that love was given I've been the one to pay Save my heart take your love away, do my heart a favor, take your love and run, let's go our separate ways before there's damage done.
0: Thank you for listening. The entire autobiography can be purchased as an old fashioned paper book or an e book, as well as an 11 disc audiobook set, or can be downloaded from the audiobook site Spotify. More details are on my website, jeadvm.com.